Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, here we go. Uh, new series, Wild and Free. I'm titling this Into the Wild and Free. And uh, I believe the Lord has a unique destiny for each and every one of you. I, let me say that again. I'm going to speak today um, in a very um, unique way. I'm going to kind of give us an introduction to a new series. I want to present to you some new ideas. I'm also, I believe the Lord has given me some prophetic words for some of you, but I want to I declare some of this over you. And um, so I believe that the Lord has a unique destiny for each and every one of you. God has placed in your life a calling. You have been called by God for certain things. Each of you are called to an adventurous life, a wonder-filled life, an expansive life, a kingdom-bringing life. And you have been designed for give, uh, life-giving ongoing, loving relationships that are full of joy, hope, and peace. This is who you are. This is who you're called to be. And this is for you this morning. Each of you have been created by a loving God who delights in you and is waiting for you. He's waiting to see what you will do with the life that he's given you. A lot of us think that God, that we, uh, we're, we're, a lot of us are waiting for God in our life, and God is waiting for you to live your life. God has placed incredible talents in this church, incredible talents in each of you, gifts in each of you, insights, intellect, relationships, and personality. I just need to make sure that you know this. There has never been a you like you. There's never, ever been a you before. The possibilities and potential for whatever that looks like for you to be you are endless because it's never been done. You are pioneering yourself. <laughs> Some of you are incredible at making things with your hands. You're brilliant at engineering or at sales jobs. Some of you are entrepreneurs. You have capacity. Some of you have this unique capacity to bring organization into chaotic environments. You're called administrators, and I love you so, so much. <laughs> that is a gift from God. You are great at implementing systems. Some of you have this great capacity to educating a young generation with knowledge and wisdom. Some of you ha are, are incredible students and you're great at learning. Some of you have this rare gift of raising up children in the art of living. and You're called moms and dads. In this room, there are courageous leaders, compassionate teachers and loving business owners, hardworking employees. There are students, engineers, social workers, therapists, artists, designers, people from all different walks of life, people that are retired, people that are just getting started. started. And there's so much potential. And what you need to know is that um, the Lord is waiting for you. Some of you believe that God, you're just waiting for God, but God is waiting for you. The world is waiting for you to take on these courageous acts, the, to implement these creative new concepts, ideas. The world is waiting for you to start the new business endeavor, to start to build the new product, the new app, the, to build that new website, to start that new ministry, to show up every day with your endless potential and possibility and bring to the world what, it, what God has designed 
you to bring to this world. You are designed to be wild and free. The Spirit of God wants to expand, unfurl your life. But for so many of us, even as I speak these words over you, you have settled for an alternative story. Your story, your life has been hijacked by a different kind of story. And that story, for most of us, has been marked by fear and shame. Would you agree? Fear tames our wild spirit and shame holds us, holds our freedom captive. And so we have been built for freedom, but we have settled for a life of captivity. And fear, by definition, here's a definition for us, uh, is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or is a threat, a feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or, or the safety and well-being of someone. And we live in a constant state of fear. We have a scarcity mindset that there's never gonna be enough. Do we not? So we live, we gotta make more because next week we won't be able to make enough. Rent might not come in. That person might not be there. We gotta go out tonight because we might not have fun the following week. We live with this scarcity mindset and it causes us to live in a place of fear. Shame, by definition, is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And that's an okay definition. Brene Brown, who wrote Daring Greatly and um, uh, a couple of books, Rising Strong, and she, she's uh, got a, a TED Talk out there. It's one of the most popular TED Talks, and, and I've read all of her works now, and I love what she's doing. Um, and she says shame is this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I wanna talk in this series about shame and fear and how it prevents us from being fully ourselves. And so I'm just gonna kind of briefly give you a picture of who we are today and what we're designed to be, invite you to experience freedom. And then um, next week, we're gonna, Bill's gonna pick up from Genesis 3 and look at the way shame and fear corrupt our lives with sin. Um, but shame is, is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And brothers and sisters, we are built for love. We are built for a connection. And you can interchange the word shame with hum humiliation or, or embarrassment or guilt. But guilt is the definition, again, from Brene Brown is I did something wrong. And we feel that a lot when we do something wrong. I did something wrong. But what shame is, it creates an identity attached to your, who you are. And it says, shame is I am bad. Or so guilt is, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. And how many of our, us are here and we can just relate to those feelings? Anyone want to be brave enough? Hey, if you want to experience freedom, it's got to start by simply recognizing the pain and the, the, the patterns in your life. So let's just do that again. Anyone here feel that sense of shame this morning? You can look, keep your hands up. I want you to see how much shame and pain and brokenness is in this room. And this is the future. This is the beginning of new humanity. You can put your hands down. I want to introduce this series as a way to explore who, to, who we are to become and who we are because of what the scriptures teach, because of what Jesus did, and because um, there's a better way to live. There's an alternative story that we get to tell as the church. Are you with me? 
So wild and free, I don't know how long it will be. I'm just gonna go with it and see. I, I was really moved by one scripture, which I'm gonna end with today. But um, to begin, I wanna start off with who we were designed to be. And if you're, if you're at the garden, you've been here a while, you know we always go to Genesis. So go to Genesis chapter one, um, verse one. We're gonna look at the Bible because we believe that the Bible is authoritative. Um, it's worth giving our lives to, wrapping our lives around the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible and you have a smartphone, you can download you version app and pull it up on your phone or the scripture will be behind me. Um, But here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin with the way the story begins and then we're going to look at ways that we've sabotaged that, which we can all relate to, and then we're going to come back to how then how are we supposed to live in this identity and we're going to end with some prayer. Does that sound okay this morning? That's what I've prepared, so if you don't like it, you can just leave. Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes on to create everything. He speaks it into existence. He'll say something and it happens. And then verse 26, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we begin with our identity in Genesis 1. Why do we go to Genesis all the time? Well, there's a a rule in interpretation of scripture uh, that the Jewish community adopted. It's called the principle of first mention. Whenever a word is first mentioned in the scripture, Genesis happens to be the first book of the Bible, um, that helps identify and define the meaning of that word. And the same is true with, with events in scripture. So for example, how do we know what agape love looks like or the, the most appropriate love? Well, the Jews discover that the first time it's used is when Abraham loved his son Isaac. So what the Jews concluded is that the greatest love there is is a, the love between a father for a son. And now you see that through the Father in heaven and for his Son and for our people. So they begin to interpret words that way. So this is the picture of humanity in the beginning, okay? Before it was corrupted with sin and all that stuff. And what we see, I'm just gonna make a couple of observations for us. What we see is that we were all, as humans, created in the image of God. We were created, that language image, means to represent God. We are, we are his representatives on earth, That's the language that the Hebrews attach to Genesis 1. So it's not that men represent God. It's that male and female together as community, humankind, we represent the image of God. We are made with with purpose and intentionality and detail. According to Genesis 1, we were blessed to work. We see that we have a task. We have job a job to do according to Genesis 1. Work is not a byproduct of the fall, okay? So some of you think that, but that's not the case. And it says, what was our work? It says to uh, subdue and and rule. And those are some fascinating words. The the word rule, uh, it comes with this idea of dominion. It's kingdom language. It's connected to the kingdom. It's about reigning. It's about power. It's about authority. So we were given from God, 
power and authority to rule over creation as his representatives. We're also called to subdue, which has to do with stewardship. It's like a babysitter. I, I, you know, somebody watches my kid. I hope that they don't kill him, right? Or give him the wrong food. I hope they, fu- I come back and their house is thrashed. My son is lighting the roof on fire. They didn't do their job as a babysitter. We, as followers of God, as, as actually not even as followers of God, all humans are given the image of God. We're called to rule, have power and authority over creation, and we're called to steward creation. And the idea of stewardship is that we take care of it. We, um, there's so much more than just uh, taking care of it. It's about we are designed to create environments for all of creation to flourish. Humans were given the power and authority to create other environments for the rest of creation to flourish and thrive. This is what it means to be human, all right? You with me? Have you heard this before? Hopefully, yes, at the garden. Maybe you weren't listening. So there we are. We're, we're, uh, let's go to Genesis 2. I wanna give you another creation story. So Genesis 1, one creation story. Unfortunately, we have this sequential 1-2. Genesis 2 is another creation story. It's like Genesis 1, the cosmos. Genesis 2, it's kind of zeroed in, and it's a story about how we came about. So chapter 2, some of you, I just lost you, um, but we can talk about that later. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You with me? My babe, am I going too, too fast? Do I need to slow down? Are you sure? I heard that deep sigh, and I thought, okay. <laughs> she, she, okay, good. She makes my sermons better. Okay, so verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to, listen, look at this. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. God's, God is anticipating Adam naming the animals. That's fascinating. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the sky and the wild animals, except for cats. But, the, uh, but for, for Adam, that was a result of the fall. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So chapter two, you see Adam exercise power and authority. How does he do that? He names the animals. Look at this, the image we have. In Genesis 1, God speaks and life happens. Creation begins to take shape and form. Chapter 2, Adam has the divine task of naming the animals, calling out the identity of creation, speaking the names over the existence of living beings. And God is anticipating the words, aardvark, the words that he's going to say, right? And God's like, all right, that's good. You know, hippopotamus. Okay, we're getting somewhere. And, and what you see is Adam exercises his power and authority over creation. He names the animals and he speaks life into it and it happens. We have the power to get things done. You are built for freedom and power. And I mean, talk about freedom. God is waiting for Adam to name the animals. You with me? Talk about freedom. All right, he's not, what sh- okay, what am I supposed to, okay, no, he's speaking it out. 
claiming life, speaking identity. That's authority, that's stewardship, that's image of God stuff right there. Um, and God, it says there is no suitable helper for him. So let's keep going. Verse 21 says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of a man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, remember he names the animals. Now look at what Adam does here. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So this is how perfection ends. And this is how the story of humanity begins. Um, and I just want to highlight this. We're going to look at some of this in detail in the future, but I'm just pointing some stuff out. The phrase suitable helper, the word helper is a czar in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, there is another word for a helper that's a subordinate, someone that's under you. But this is a word for an equal. Okay, so the author of Genesis could have used another word to talk about someone that's under you, but there's a reason why they chose the word azar, which means helper or rescuer. In fact, the psalmist will use the same word to describe God. God as my rescuer. God as my helper. God as my redeemer. That's the same word. There was no rescuer for Adam. And we mix up this theology and we want to say, well, male was, man was created first and woman, women were second, which Paul uses for a different reason later on in the New Testament. But in the beginning, we are created for mutual, cooperative, ongoing, loving relationships with one another. And notice power is not used over other people, only over creation. This is so important. This frustrates me in churches. I'm gonna preach on this, I will. Women have every right to be in every position of leadership in the church. We take a few passages and we mess it up and we universalize it and it's damaging the church. This is one verse we need to see in Hebrew in the language. Humanity, we were built for perfect, ongoing, loving relationships. Power is only used for what? To empower creation. What does Jesus do with power when he knows that he came from the Father and he was going back to the Father in John chapter 13 and all authority from heaven and earth has been given to him? What does he do? What's the first thing he does? He takes off his clothes and he washes his disciples' feet. He doesn't grab a microphone and start proclaiming and take notes. He says, let me show you what real power looks like. Husbands, this is what real power looks like. Even as I say it, I'm reminded of all the times I'm like, babe, you gotta submit. She's, yeah, that came recently too. I was like, like this week. <laughs> oh man, I'm just, I'm just a mess. He doesn't name his wife. He doesn't name her. He doesn't name her. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is what he says in English. Where I am weak, she is strong. And where she is weak, I am strong. Woman is the word Eshaw which comes from the, the, the word for man, from the word man, which means ish. So it's just this beautiful way of poetry that's describing that relationships were designed not for dominance or manipulation, no shame. They were designed for intimacy. Power to, is used to empower and bring life, to elevate people up, not, not, not tear them down. And there's no shame. We are designed for mutual, cooperative, empowered, ongoing, loving 
authentic and vulnerable relationships. Does that sound good? Oh, it's so good. This is how the story begins. But in chapter three, our story gets hijacked, does it not? How many of us have experienced mutual, cooperative, empowered, ongoing, loving, authentic, and vulnerable relationships? Isn't that a rare thing? We know because Genesis 3 tells our story. It tells my story. And we're going to look at this next week. Adam and Eve choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens immediately is sin enters into their story through their disobedience and they're filled with fear. Adam's afraid of God. They, they recognize they're naked. They're filled with shame. So they hide from each other. They hide from God. And then they start blaming each other. Adam goes, this woman that you gave me, this woman that once completed me, now it's her fault that I'm making all these mistakes, which again, I said earlier this week. So it's... <laughs> It's just an old story that we tell over and over again and our life has been filled with shame and we use power in a distorted capacity where we dominate over each other, we lie, we manipulate. And, and, and I just need to say Genesis 3, which we'll, we're gonna pick up later and remind me to do this as a talk. Um, we have the power and authority from God to represent him on earth and then guess what? We give that power and authority away. Who do we give it to? The devil. Who originally had power and authority over creation? According to Genesis 1 and 2, we just read. We did. We had power and authority over creation to represent God on earth, to bring life-giving environments so all of creation to flourish. And we gave that power and authority to the devil, the accuser. And ever since then, God was on a work to redeem that story and we find out who takes it from the devil. Let's just, can, can we do some Bible 101? Jesus does. Okay. And guess what Jesus does with it? He gives it back. As followers of Jesus, we inherit this. Is that good? Come on. I think it's good. This is what this series is about. It's about dealing with our shame. It's about dealing with our fear. It's about learning how to live with the true identity. So we were created for power. We were created for bringing future. We were created for bringing life-giving, loving relationships, trusted rulers, royal identity. But we replaced that identity and we settled for something else. Rather than receiving our identity from God, what we were intended to do, we start receiving our identity and worth from people, from ourselves, from how much money we make, from, who we, from who, whom we know, what we do, who we know, and what they think of us. Anyone know a person like that in, in their life? Our lives have been marked by all sorts of things and we've settled for a tame imitation life of captivity. And um, our life of captivity is, I think, is best reflected from this passage in Galatians. And I wanted to read this this morning just to give you a snapshot of what I think most of us have experienced on earth. We were supposed to experience all the other stuff, but what we've experienced uh, is from Galatians 5, 19. I'm just jumping in. I'm gonna use the message because I love what Eugene Peterson does. He, he kind of translates this passage for us and, and it's put into our language. So, here, Paul is writing to a church in Galatia about the acts of flesh, about a sinful nature of what life looks like when you focus on yourself, when you get your identity from yourself, not from God. And he says this, it's obvious, let's make sure, what kind of life develops out, uh, out of trying to get your own way all the time. Listen to this, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage frenzied 
and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habits of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. He, he says, I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you about this, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom, the life that is life. You won't live here now in the life that matters most. You won't experience all that God has for you. Can anyone here just say amen to all this stuff? We, we, this is the life that we've settled for. We were built for so much more. We have capacity for more life, but we settle for this type of stuff. And why? Why do we settle for this? Why is this the norm? Why do I, why is this, why? Why is this the norm? I think there's three, there are three reasons. I want to give us a diagnosis this morning because we're going to talk about this in the future. The first one is this. We all have a sinful nature. What does that mean? Paul says the word flesh. It's not just about the physical stuff. He talks about these desires we have that, that come naturally to us. And we, we are naturally bent towards the things that are destructive. Would you agree with me? Like perfect example, if you gave me a choice between eating something healthy and a burrito, I would eat the, the cheese and the tortilla, the non-paleo whole 30, you know, that thing, right? My son already does this, right? So I'll give him a choice. Do you want green peas or chocolate? What do you think he's gonna go for? Because we're naturally bent towards a specific way. That's called sinful nature. It, uh, we, we do that. The second reason is the world. The world is a is an ocean of corruption and we're swimming in the ocean, right? So as followers, we're swimming in this ocean. There's nothing we can do because we aren't surprised by the pain, the chaos, the addiction. We aren't surprised by terrorism anymore. But we are surprised when a friend buys us our meal, aren't we? Oh my gosh, generosity. Where'd that come from? We aren't surprised by the acts of anger and selfishness. We aren't surprised when somebody cuts us off, although we might be and we cut them back off. But we are surprised by kindness and love when someone shows us hospitality, when someone says, no, I'll take the check. And it's just extravagant. And you're like, There's no, you shouldn't. I, there, I, you're calculating how much it is and how much it costs them. And, and we get surprised by that because the world is bent towards corruption and death and sin, and evil. I mean, we live in a narcissistic, <laughs> materialistic, militant consumer mindset. So of course, we're gonna struggle with these things. The third reason is that there are active forces working against your life. And we don't talk about this enough, and we need to. There are demonic powers, powers and principalities. There are forces, cosmic, small, in this world that are opposing your life. They're opposing every inch of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't see it as these massive forces. I see it like little crows that gather together. And when you walk around in the power of God, they just flee like crazy. That's what it's like when you have the power of God in your life, when you know who Jesus is. You don't have to be afraid of those demonic things. You don't have to be afraid of nightmares or walking into a possessed person. You speak authority over them. I don't know if I shared this story, but I was in India and there was a lot of de de deliverance going on. Just a quick story. 
One woman was on the ground and she was, she was convulsing and speaking out all sorts of things. She was obviously possessed by a demon and our team was around there. There was all sorts of people praying for her and I was speaking English. I came up and I said, in the name of Jesus, get out. As soon as I said that, she goes limp and the girl next to her praying who was from India falls down and starts doing the exact same thing she did. That was really interesting. And then I learned I don't just cast out demons anymore. I cast out demons and send them straight to Jesus. Right? So you take authority and power over the spiritual stuff. So there is an enemy working against your life. They, the enemy wants you to self-destruct, wants you to be held captive, wants you to be defined by how much money you make, who knows you, how many likes you get on Instagram and Facebook. They, he wants you to find your worth in what you do, who you know, what we know, what we have, and what other people think of us because that's when he wins. But when you step into the identity that you have from God, you are an unstoppable force. That's what I'm talking about is becoming that unstoppable force to learn how to be wild and free. So then how? How on earth in the midst of all the corruption, in the midst of the world being corrupted, in the midst of our natural sinful nature, in the midst of the enemy working against us, how do we live in a place of freedom, of true identity? How do we operate from a place of power, a place of being a trusted ruler? How do we do it? What we do, naturally, is whenever something's wrong with us, we move towards religion, right? Something's wrong with me. I need to change my behavior. I need to change the way I think about myself. I, I move, some of us will just move straight to religion. And what, what you need to know is religion won't fix you. We move to self-help. We love self-help. Love those books, 10 Ways to Be a Better You, all that stuff. I, it's helpful, right? You can, I, need to, I need to think differently and act positive and all these things. There, there's science behind all of that. Yes, that's gonna help you a little bit. We turn to Dr. Oz for that diet. We, we go to the gym for that exercise. We go to that namaste yoga class so that we can become one with our path and find our spiritual journey. But none of that will make you a better you, period. You might be nicer occasionally. You might be more centered occasionally. But at the end of the day, the root of the problems with the world being corrupt, with the enemy working against you, with you naturally having a sinful nature, you will never find your identity through a spiritual path and exercise diets or Dr. Oz. Jesus is the only solution. And let me just prove that to you real quick. Yeah. You see, the problem with sinful nature, check this out, Romans chapter 6. Jesus becomes a solution to that. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified, past tense, with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. In other words, the problem with your old self, your old nature, your sinful nature, that has been crucified with Christ on the cross. Yes, we keep sinning, right? We struggle. I talked about telling my wife to submit this week. I did. That was sinful behavior. It was. But I can, what, what Paul will later say is, it, it's basically, it's dead, so kill it. So keep on crucifying yourself with Christ, okay? So the sinful nature, Jesus takes care of that. The world, check this out, 2 Corinthians, he says this. Uh, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. That is not 2 Corinthians uh, chapter. <laughs> that is 1 Corinthians. Sorry, I think I might have given you a typo. 2 Corinthians 6, 19 says something great. That's a good one. Maybe that's prophetic for someone here. 
You just need to confess your body is a living temple. Second Corinthians um, chapter six. Let me pull this up. Verse 19. Did I beat everyone? It says this. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. How is the world being reconciled? Through us. Come on. Okay, and the third thing, hopefully I got this passage right. <laughs> First John, First John chapter uh, 3, 8. Yeah, the one who does, ah, what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. He came to destroy the enemy's work. I should probably sit down. I'm going to kill myself up here. So Jesus is the solution. Let me just uh, briefly just land with this then. So as Christians... As Christians, knowing that we struggle with sin, knowing that we struggle with finding our identities in other places, knowing that for many of us, we are living constantly in a place of fear and shame, knowing that we are, um, we are living this alternative story, how, how then, how do we actually, how do we step in? How do we do it? If it's not about religion, self-help, if Jesus is the answer, how do we step in? I want you to read Ephesians chapter 1. And from here, we'll draw something out, and then we'll just land in Galatians. I know I'm all over the place, but I did it on purpose. I gave you a, a kind of an introduction to a, a larger story that we're trying to tell, and we'll go into depth in a little bit next week and the following weeks. But Ephesians 1, look at what Paul does. He writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? Did you see it? No, not grace and peace. That was close. <laughs> to God's holy people. What? He's writing to a church like us, raising hands for all sorts of shame, all sorts of sin, all sorts of brokenness, all sorts of pain in our life. He says to God's Hagioi, holy saints, power washed and cleansed from the inside out, blameless and set apart to those kinds of people. Do any of you know anyone like that? If you said yes to Jesus, you are that. Paul will go over and over again and he will affirm the identity of everyone that says yes to Jesus. You are holy to the holy people in the church of Rome, in, in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, in Philippians, in, first, or in Colossians chapter one. Paul will write to the church speaking out their identity. Paul spends all sorts of time telling the church who they already are because who they aren't isn't interesting. He spends all sorts of time telling them who they are because Paul knows that who you are and what you think of yourself will fundamentally shape how you engage and interact in the world. Here's what Paul says in just Ephesians. You are saints. Listen to this or read this. Do we have this as a slide? Saints, loved by God, children, adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. You are more than conquerors. You are set apart, created for good works, blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the creation of the world, holy, blameless, redeemed, forgiven, included, sealed with the Holy Spirit, 
recipients of God's lavish grace, recipients of God's glorious inheritance, made alive in Christ. You are saved. You are God's workmanship. You are part of a new humanity. You are fellow citizens, members of God's household in the building blocks of God's holy temple. Can I get an amen? Amen. So why on earth would you define yourself by how many likes you get on Facebook? By what you wear? By how much money you have in the bank? Do you not know who you are? That's what Paul's doing. He's drawing you into your identity. He's pulling you out of the brokenness and saying, no, you already are this. Be this. I've used this illustration so many times. It's the perfect one for this. When I got married, Bill, I stood in front of my family and friends and Bill said, I pronounce you husband. Did I know at 22 how to be a husband? No. I lived single life up until I was 22 and then all of a sudden I'm given this new identity. I don't have to work hard to become a husband. I was a husband, but to be a good husband, I had to work hard at it. I still do. I'm not necessarily a good husband. I, I am a husband, so now I have to learn how to be a husband. This is all that Paul's doing. Maybe this is helpful, and I've been using this on Ezra, although he doesn't fully understand it. I have a two-year-old, and, and if, if you come over and you're another kid and you want to play with his toys, there's going to be some havoc, okay? So we're teaching our boy that as a, I, I say this to him when he's trying to share, or I, or t- when I try to teach him to share, I say, Ezra, you're a roundsin, as a roundsin. We share in our family. This is who we are. We, we prefer sharing. We prefer generosity. Now, I don't shame him into sharing. I invite him as a dad to be who he already is. Now, does that work right now? Uh, absolutely not. He's like, he's like, give it back. It's mine, mine, mine. But I'm inviting him to be who he is and teaching him about the characteristics that are godly and good. This is the only way that we will learn how to live out of our identities. Paul knows that he draws us into our identities to be who we already are, to share in the inheritance of Jesus. You have been raised and you are seated. You are with Jesus as co-heirs. I mean, it doesn't get any more profound than that, but yet we get, we get our identities identity from all sorts of things that bring shame and fear. Shame and fear keep you from being who you are made to be and who you already are. Shame and fear diminish your capacity for life. And shame and fear keep you from being fully human. Because we were built to experience life-giving, loving relationships with no shame. That's the essence of humanity. But I know this for a fact as we come to a close, that most of us live the alternative story. So over the next several weeks, we're gonna try to give you um, life-giving ways to experience freedom in your life. Because I believe for many of you, you have an alternative story right now that you're living, that you have found your value and your worth and your identity from what you do, what you make, how how much you make, who you know, and your worth is far greater than that. You have been crafted and created and designed for a destiny to bring life to this world. Jesus wants to disciple you uniquely to your destiny. It's not a program here. You have unique gifts. There's never been a you before and Jesus wants you to be fully you and nobody else. And he, if you become more like him, will make you more you. (laughs) And now I'm Dr. Seuss. So I want to invite you 
to experience freedom. It says this in Galatians chapter five. I'm gonna spend a lot of time here over the next several weeks. I wanted to read this over you today because the only thing I wanted to do today is this last part. I, I believe walking here all week long, I was telling our staff, there's gonna be an incredible amount of freedom experience this morning. I was at prayer meeting. I knew pre-service prayer, God's gonna bring breakthrough. Even the, the, the worship, I just sensed God's already bringing freedom to our church. We just have to reach out and go for it. We have to accept it and live in that reality. It says in Galatians chapter five, verse one, I'm gonna use the message again because I, I just fell in love with the way Paul, uh, Eugene Peterson uh, translated Galatians, which happened to be the first book that he translated. And I love Eugene Peterson's uh, message. Uh, and I love the, the intention of e- Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible. This is so amazing. I'm so inspired by it. He wanted to translate the Bible for his local church. It was never for the world. His heart was the 400 plus people that he pastored for over 30 years or whatever it was outside of a, a small town or outside of Baltimore in a, in a suburb. It says this, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand or fight for it. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. There are people here and now that have a harness of slavery on them. You have identified with self-hatred, self-doubt, and insecurity. You have been diagnosed with all sorts of conditions, anxiety, and depression, and you have worn a harness of slavery in your life, and God wants that to come off today. That there is freedom. Some of you have only known addiction to pornography and lust, and God's gonna break it through this series. I know this. Some of you have defined yourself through materialism, through buying, accumulating things, and that is a yoke of slavery on your life that God wants to take off. Is there anybody here that needs to experience freedom this morning? I want to invite you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be free. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I was going to read. I'm just, I'm realizing I'm running out of time. So why don't we just end here, okay, with this question. What's the thing that's holding you back from being who you already are? What do you need to be freed from this morning is another way to question, ask that question. Some of you are here, and yes, you need to be freed from the addiction of lust that's cultivated in a long relationship with pornography, with inappropriate relationships. Some of you need to be freed from debt, the the accumulation of debt. You don't know how to balance your life, so you just spend it. Some of you need to be freed from jealousy and envy. Some of you need to be freed from selfishness and pride and self-focus and narcissism. Some of you need to be freed from gossiping and constantly having something negative to say about somebody else because that's where your life finds its worth, that you're better than them. Some of you need to be freed from anxiety and fear. Some of you need to be freed from the overwhelming feeling that you're never gonna measure up, you don't amount enough, you don't have enough, and you're not good enough. Some of you need to be freed from the unforgiveness that's plaguing your heart, that's held you captive because that one person or that one community that you can't let go of. Some of you need to be freed from your past and the mistake that you made that has now scarred you with a letter freedom. What do we need to be freed from? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.